Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Cast Dice, the podcast that explores the great big wild world of tabletop gaming that exists today. It's been said once or twice, mainly on this podcast, that we are in the middle of a gaming renaissance. There are just too many good games that we can spend our hobby time and our hobby dollars on, and it can lead to a serious case of not knowing what to play next. And I guess that's the purpose of this podcast. It's to talk to my guests about the games that we enjoy playing, to talk about big industry events, and to talk to the people who create these games. Now, as I mentioned in the episode previously with Hari uh, in preparation for Operation Standstorm, we talked about my having played in a recent event. And I am very excited to have on my next guest. It's someone who we've previously recorded, but the episode had the worst audio ever. And uh, I am ashamed to say I lost an episode, which is something I pride myself on never doing. So uh, I have to say that this gentleman is incredibly patient and kind and nice enough to come back. And he happens to be one of the hosts of one of my favorite bolt action podcasts. And he's also just played in a tournament. So tonight, he and I are going to discuss our experiences at two very different and yet strangely similar bolt action events on the opposite sides of the planet. Now, if we're talking opposite sides of the planet, we are actually talking Wales and Australia, in this particular case, Melbourne, to, uh, to, to Firestorm Games. And if that's the neighborhood is Wales, you know it has to be the Bearded Wargamer from the Sounds of Battle podcast, Race. Welcome to Cast Ice. Yoch, Brad. Uh, thank you for that intro. It was, um, uh, it's, it's more than I'm worth. <laughs> oh, please. Mate, I love listening to your cast. You guys get up to some great content. You go to some great events. You talk about campaign days. You unpack uh, all sorts of fun. I mean, how many podcasts regularly talk about sea lion lists? I mean, it's great. And there's just tons of bolt action content in there from another perspective that I really dig. And I listen to you guys every time you put out an episode, and I look forward to it. So thank you so much for coming on, brother, because I'm a huge fan. Thank, thank you for having me, because um, this is, um, for me, the, like the pinnacle of, uh, of podcasts. Um, Cats Dice, I thoroughly enjoy it. Thoroughly. <sighs> he says, wincing, I am just the guy with the mic. It is just, it is a pleasure <laughs> to have you on, my friend. But uh, let, let's talk shop. Now, you and I are both Major League Bolt Action enthusiasts, and you have played in a huge event for you guys. Now, circumstances being what they are, it was a little less than we had originally hoped. But talk us through the, the Welsh Nationals, because you just went. Yeah, so... Um... It was for, for us, it wasn't a tournament that we ran, but because it was in Wales, um, we just, we, I, I personally wanted it to uh, be massive. I really did. Um, unfortunately, didn't quite get there this year. Um, but talking to um, the man, the myth, the legend, Paul Walker, who mm -hmm. is, who did run it, Warlord. Aloha. Um, you know, yeah, aloha. Um, he's got a lot of plans for next year. Um, one of them being tickets out a lot earlier than they were this year. Mm -hmm. But um, I know he tried his absolute best. He did everything. We had a good conversation about it when he was down and um, he did everything he could, but dates and, and stuff like that meant that um, tickets were only released five weeks before the event, which um, unfortunately due to 
other amazing events happening at the time, like Danish Nationals. Um, we lost a lot of uh, our European friends who would have come over. They went to Danish Nationals. A couple of uh, close friends, uh, Russell Wright and, um, and Paul Wickens, they went to Danish. Or they, Russell was meant to, he didn't in the end due to other reasons. But um, And then Roll Call as well got called, which is a very popular event with a lot yeah. of people. And um, a lot of people bought tickets for that. So it did reduce the number coming to Welsh Nationals. <laughs> and then... Classic case of COVID made that uh, mm -hmm. even lower. So we, um, Paul told me we started with 16, we lost four the week of, and we lost the four the morning of. So we ended up with a, a national tournament of eight people, but eight of the best people, eight of the absolute best people. Ouch. Yeah, I mean, you can set everything up. I mean, I, I've run many tournaments over the years, and I've been to many tournaments over the years. And sometimes things are huge and they're gangbusters. And other times circumstances just start to be what they may and numbers start to drop or they just don't take off in the first place. And sometimes you just can't help it. Um, all the preparation in the world uh, means that things might be a little smaller. But from what I hear uh, from all the, the talk on the street is that the other national tournaments, the ones in England, um, in Scotland, and then the overall nationals are going to be big as Ben Hur. Yeah, they're they're due to be massive. It, it, the whole it's a great idea. Um, personally, I like it because there is that side of bolt action that I know yourself. Um, you don't get that involved with, and I don't tend to. I do like the competitive side of it, but um, it's not something I go to more. I play bolt action more for the theme and historical fun side of things but i do like a competitive tournament get those juices flowing so um, mm -hmm. this is supposed to be the creme de la creme of uh, competitive tournaments you've got you know you've got each quarter will have its own tournaments and then with the final quarter be in the big shebang um where all the best of the best will battle it out um for uh, that that kind of national or in, almost international because i imagine we'll have people coming from uh, outside of the uk uh, to play um best best player of, of them all <laughs> <laughs> and long may they live uh so the you though you only had eight players the eight players you had that was a pretty stiff field like there was a lot of competition there you it was it was hardly a cakewalk or a little walk in the park no it was it was it, the, the people that turned up are are known to be tough players uh johnny curran i've played a few times he is a, he is a tough cookie um richard um and then there were people who were um not unheard of but you don't normally see in as uh, so much in in the circuit i haven't seen too often um one of um a, another fellow welshman and now his name escapes me and i'm really embarrassed <laughs> and that's gonna bug me because i played him first as well that's gonna annoy me but um, he was the only other welshman there there was only the two of us um i've not played him before i saw him at the open and um and then alex the gentleman that won the whole thing um he um i've not seen him around much i think he's quite new to the game but he's a very good player you can tell he has played war games before mm -hmm. and that he knows what he's doing yeah i do like when new players show up and um you know some of the some of the old uh Older bolt action players, and I don't mean old as in age, but older as in you know people who've been <laughs> playing for a while, are like, oh, it's a new guy. I'll run you through a game. 
but you know, occasionally they are seasoned wargaming veterans. Uh, I know, for example, Nick Beatty came on uh, the scene a couple years ago. He's an old friend from a number of game systems, and he's been on the show plenty of times before. But he walked in with the King Tiger, and everyone assumed that he was a noob who was bringing something he didn't know what to do with. And Nick is not the soft, fluffy gamer that <laughs> that King Tiger would have you believe, and he ruined people's day. And it was just watching him wreck face with the King Tiger when people were expecting, you know, something, oh, a newbie. Oh, it was glorious. Yeah. yeah, I must say as well, the lists that um, we played on the day um, were surprising, actually, for a competitive tournament. You expect to see the, the usual. Mm -hmm. But um, actually, people had quite a range, um, including... Um, Pete from uh, from the Juggernauts, who are known to be massively competitive, um, he normally runs Japanese, and he wrote himself a Rangers a Rangers list, uh, Derby's Rangers, in fact, from the new book. Interesting. Um, yeah, he did have the veteran um, one hundred five Sherman, of course. He did. Um, you know that that nasty and and usual multi launcher, but only a single flamethrower in a double platoon uh, tournament. Only a single flamethrower and only a single multi launcher. So. You know, it was um, it was it was a bit of a shock sometimes. And I, 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 when I go on to talk about my games, I'll talk about my own arrogance um, and uh, from what I see. And I, I've got no issues with talking about when I've uh, made silly mistakes and been a bit arrogant. Mm -hmm. um, but um, yeah, yeah, it's it's nice to see a tournament where actually it was really down to the player. Nice. Well, my event was the exact opposite of your event. It was designed by. Um, Drew, who was this year's TO for CanCon, um, he stepped up, even though he's a Victorian, he went up to Canberra to run um, our big national event. Uh, and so as part of that, I believe that he said he was going to run some uh, beginner style events um, to, to welcome new people to the game. And he ran two of them back to back, uh, one on Saturday, one on Sunday. And the idea was Saturday would be entirely uh, people new to the game and Sunday would be people new to the game, but then veterans, people who, you know, had been playing many times could come in and get some games in both against other people who are experienced gamers. But the idea was that you would sit down with a new player in the first round and I don't want to say shepherd them or teach them because clearly they know how to play the game at that point. But, you know, run them through a game and make sure that everyone gets the game. But mm. what happened was, I believe there was 14 or 15 players the first day. And there were actually a couple of experienced players who showed up on the Saturday. But then I showed up on the Sunday following the player pack. I was expecting to play some new players. But at that point, everyone of the new players, I guess, had had enough the day before. And there are a lot of people who bought tons of new armies that, that you could see the bolt action section of the shop had been picked through. And I think three army boxes have been sold. It meant that everyone who showed up for ours, we'd seen them many times before. And some of the better players in the local meta were there. Lee Avery, uh, Tristan from the Bacon, Bacon Burgers, Garrett, formerly of, or I guess technically still a Bacon Burger. Albert, there's a lot of like seasoned players in the mix. And so we had technically seven players, but then the TO stepped into play in the last round. So I guess we had eight as well. But yeah, there was there was no slouches in that in that 
field. It was uh, it was a little uh, it was a little rough in a good way. Like it was really lighthearted. Everyone had a good banter on. It was a good time. But uh, people hadn't played in a long time because of Melbourne's lockdowns. And so for a lot of us, it was our first proper event in a while. And yeah, they were <laughs> knocking some rust off on one hand, but we were also playing, I would say, some pretty high quality bolt action. Um, a lot of great tactics, a lot of great games, uh, a lot of takeaways for all the players involved that I talked to. Yeah, it was rad, but it was small but fairly um, high skill level, if that makes sense. So in a way, it was a lot like yours. Yeah, yeah, yeah I get that. So your it was your first tournament in a while, wasn't it? So how were you feeling going into this? Um, yeah, look, it it had been it, true. It was my first event in a very long time, and it it's because I ran the uh, Lee Avery and I ran a uh, a bolt action tank war event at a conquest last year last easter and this year we're running a big two-day uh reinforced platoon event same thing we just ran it because you know you to you you play some games as gumbies but i hadn't actually played as a player i also organized a number of let's get together and play bolt action days in 2021 um thinking we weren't going to get locked down again haha <laughs> fool you no that 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 isn't what happened and in fact we got locked down I think longer the second time it felt a lot longer anyway. So when we came out of that, now that a lot of the shops that we would normally play in are gone and because the clubs that I would normally hold play days at have still been locked. Well, since lockdown are still not running uh, Hampton club only just reopened, I think this week. So uh, I, I just haven't been out playing publicly. So that was really strange. I've been playing mm -hmm. a lot of bolt action since lockdowns lifted, but it's been with specific friends. Um, we also moved house during the last lockdown, and my new house has a game room, and so I'm able to play a lot of games here. And so I'm hosting a lot and playing a lot, but not publicly. So it was a little strange to be out in public again. But yeah, it was it was great. I really enjoyed it. I... Wasn't sure what list to take, and that took a while. But before we get to my list, uh, what list did you take? Because you were taking Americans. I did. I did take US. I'm, I'm US through and through, really, with my bolt action. It's, it's all I've got. Weirdly, I can't get away from it either. Every time I start a new army, I end up swinging towards US. So, for example, I'm looking at an unpainted... Um, winter us airborne army by here and mm -hmm. then i know under my desk i've got the startings the boxes ready to build a desert um early war operation torch mm -hmm. us army and i'm thinking to myself can i just get away from us please and i don't know how to <laughs> it's like an addiction hey so, those national <clears throat> rules are real good i'm just saying it is it is bolt action with training wheels <laughs> Look, I, I've never called it easy mode, but oh no, I did do that. I did do that a lot, in yeah. fact. In fact, I'm saying it again right now. Easy, easy mode. That's all right. Um, <clears throat> can't help myself. Sorry. Uh, but yeah, I guess once you get into a you know a way of playing a game and you know the way and you know it inside out, you know I, I find it difficult. I've got an Af a DAC army and I find it difficult to move and shoot. And then I go, oh, forget to add the one for, for moving. So um, mm -hmm. I'm getting used to that. Anyway, yeah, so I went with I went with my Marine Army, my US Marine Army. And so the pack allowed, it was your usual competitive pack. So it was one of everything was allowed um, for 
I think five infantry units, your usual reinforced platoon kind of thing, nothing extra, nothing tasty. Um, but you were allowed two platoons in within 1,000 points, which is uh, which was nice. Makes a bit of a change. You can then fiddle. Mm-hmm. So I played this list a lot. Um, I, I, I had a few different ideas, and eventually I settled on um, on two inexperienced officers because I see them as attacks. I'm not using them for anything. Mm-hmm. They're literally there to bolster morale for my double multi launcher that's sitting at the back. Um, uh, for what did I have? Four units, four units of five man engineers with flamethrowers in, four dodges to accompany them. Uh, You're killing me, bris- dog. Okay, sorry. Yeah, I know. <laughs> sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> two, two stewards bristling with machine guns. Um, trying to think, that might have actually just been it. Yeah, no, no usual bazooka, no usual, uh, no sniper, nothing like that. But um, oh, and two inexperienced medium mortars. <laughs> so let me get this right. At a thousand points, you had twenty dudes. Um, four squads yeah, of five. It, yeah, yeah, four squads of five at a thousand points. Yeah, basically oh, to take objectives dude. and stuff. Okay, I know it's we awful. we play in very different dirty. metas. For the record, uh, plus <laughs> you were you were playing. To be clear, you were playing an event that touted oh, yeah, to that. be heavily competitive, as yeah. in people bring out the filth, ringing the little bells. Yeah, exactly. That list wouldn't touch any of the tournaments I go to. So if I ever go to any Russell Rice Russell Rice themey tournaments, my my list is incredibly themed. Um, okay. Welsh Open is based on a theme. That's my that's my jam. But for this, I knew I had to go. Hammer and tongs, and, mm-hmm. and had to bring stuff that did not match. In fact, I went as far. My stewards, um, my with all the bristling machine guns, are actually painted to be in the desert um, with the future inexperienced horde that I mm-hmm. plan on making for my US. Um, so all my marines are very dirty. Okinawa, it, they're still themed there. The you know, bases are all filthy, and then these stewards are like just sandy. It looks really weird, but I was going to say that's not jarring at all, is it? Yeah, I know. I know people are looking at that, and you can see them twitching, going, "Why? Why aren't they themed the same? What's going on?" Yeah, it's because stewards weren't there, so I'm not painting them like that. It's not happening. Yep. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah. So yeah. Nasty, yeah. nasty, nasty. My list is a little different from that. Just, just quietly. Like um, now, so, my, wait there, wait there. I want, I want to ask, how come the Joes didn't come out? Because I absolutely love your GI Joe project. Why didn't the GI Joes see this tournament? They deserve it, man. They deserve it. Uh, they're gonna come out and play soon. I just come added on. another batch of seven Joes to the to the lot, so I'm I'm oh, I'm getting close to what I need for a reinforced platoon. I think I'm down to five or six infantry models before I can field it as a full uh, U.S. reinforced platoon, uh, U.S. Airborne, speaking of easy mode. And uh, <laughs> then at that point, I can just add bits and pieces for fun. But this was, this. look, I didn't want to show up. It was supposed to be for, you know, you could play a beginner or you could play, it was, it was supposed to be very heavily World War II themed. So mm. I wanted to keep to that. And so I brought the an army that I had added a bunch of models to during lockdown, um, which was my Finns, uh, a, a force that I had run previously as a bunch of snowsuit Soviets. Yes, I know that is sacrilege, but <laughs> I also had a bunch of Soviet models that went in there. And, you know, they're wearing white snowsuits and they're carrying rifles. It's not like... And a bunch of them are carrying Soviet SMGs because Finns. So it wasn't like I was 
completely out there when I did that. But I'd never run them as proper fin fins uh, in an event. I'd run them socially a couple of times. And so I really wanted to do that. And in my readings, um, I'd done some research around fin organizations throughout the war. And uh, though I'd, I really wanted to play Winter War, I didn't have enough riflemen painted, and the white paint scheme takes a really long time to paint. Mm, and so I was yeah. kind of going, like, what do I have painted? And then it occurred to me that um, one of the units that I'd researched in wanting to go beyond the Winter War was a Continuum War, um, early Continuum War uh, formation, which was around uh, Finnish heavy tank uh, platoons. And so they were basically two to three T-28s that they would run on the field and they would be followed up with infantry, sometimes CC infantry, sometimes regular infantry. And so for this, I have two painted T-28s and went, you know what? I'm going to get a little wacky. Now, before everyone starts screaming filth, I fully acknowledge that the multiple turret T-28 is a very good tank in bolt action. It is, however, the Finnish version, which means it is unreliable. It also has one less machine gun than it should because they fixed that typo in the Soviet book, but not the Finn book. So keep that in mind, kids. Um, so every time it takes a pin, for any reason, it takes another pin because of the unreliable rule. So pins stack up against those vehicles really quickly, and that makes those machine guns a lot less effective. So keep that in mind. Um, but I really wanted to run those in tandem. But I also didn't want to be a jerk. And so I ran four eight-man fin squads, uh, continuations war squads. But I took no Panzerfausts, and I didn't take Tough Fighter or any of the bonuses. I thought the two T-28s was enough. So I took the four rifleman squad. Um, most of them had, the sergeant had an SMG, and then... A couple of them had another guy with an SMG. And then I had two lieutenants to be able to take two platoons to take two T-28s. Again, I, my whole force was regular, so I had regular lieutenants with my regular soldiers and my regular tanks. Sorry, Reese. Um, no inexperienced lieutenants there. <laughs> but I realized I had about 40 points left over, and so I took my favorite Finn armored car, which is a recce armored car with a light machine gun and a turret. It's crap. It's it's unreliable like everything else in the finish list. But it was 40 points and it was there. So I had a nine dice list that revolved around two T-28s being what I call the twin tower lists. So side by side T-28s. And yeah, I, I was really curious to see how they went. Um, the Finns do have that rule where when a unit hits halfway mark it upgrades veterancy to the next level so because i had regular everything uh, i did have squads jump up from regular to vet when i lost four guys and that did happen quite a few times in my games and wow that was good but again i tried to mitigate the t28s and those rules with taking none of the toys no snipers no CC guys. I didn't have the special rule where you got to advance and then go into ambush within the plus one to hit. Didn't take those guys. I was just bare bones riflemen T28s um, because that's what that's one of the ways they appeared in the field in the continuation war. And yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. 
Sounds it. It's nice to hear like theme lists and stuff like that. It's what I much prefer to go for. And, and the fact that you consider your opponents in your list building there by not going for like the tough fighter and not going for certain things because you are considering your opponents. You know your opponents have got something to deal with already that's going to be like, oh, I've got to make sure I get that off the table or I've got to avoid it or whatever. Yeah. Um, and that is nice. And that's what's needed in, in some certain tournaments. I know some people would say, well, why are you thinking about your opponents? You know, you bring the best list you can and you go to win. You know? Yeah, it's no, not how not, I do. Yeah. No, it's not. And it's not how, it's fine for certain tournaments. Like mine, that's what it was all about. I, I don't consider so much my opponents, you know, I want them to have a good time playing me, but I also, yeah. in my head, in that tournament, understand that they should understand what they're coming to. Um, exactly. Whereas coming to the Welsh Open, for example, those people are there to have a good weekend and I wouldn't want anyone to get smashed five games in a row over the whole weekend because unless you're having a really good time with your opponents, so, you know, as you're beating them, you try and make it fun and stuff like you chat in and make it easy. Um, then they're going to walk away going, I'm never going to that again because yeah. that's not my jam. I didn't enjoy it. Exactly. So, it's nice to hear. It's nice to hear. Well, I was a little nervous because there were there was the potential for new players coming to this. And so um, when we get to my game three, um, I did have an opponent who took an extra fluffy list. And my list, though I did my best to scale it down, mm. still was very good against that army. Um, but my first opponent had an army that was almost t tailored to kicking my teeth in. So um, <laughs> that that is a little spoiler for where we're going with this, guys. But, Reese, let's talk about your first game. Now, you guys, I think you and I were both in events that were using the Warlord standard format for competitive play as far as missions went, which yes. meant in my case... I ended up playing a lot of rule book missions, but in your case, you yes. actually played a mix of things. So tell us about your first game. So my first game was um, against the Welshman. I can't remember the name the of. The Mystery Welshman. Here we the go. Mystery it's, Welshman. It's really going to bug me that I is. I feel like this fair. is the name of a Scooby-Doo episode. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, so it was, it started off um, looking at my board. Um, it was... Um, uh, sort of countryside board with a couple of ruins on one side and straight away I kind of thought I want the side I'm standing at which was mistake number one because I didn't <laughs> I wanted the other side and I didn't realize that until during the game because very yeah. silly I wanted the open side where I could see more because of my nice multi-launchers of course mm -hmm. but um it was no man's land and this to me is like one of the most pointless if you're going to play no man's land don't play meeting engagement yeah because two reasons. One, you don't waste 15 minutes deploying on the board. Nobody wants to deploy on a board. Everyone yeah. wants to go turn one, come on the board, start shooting. Let's get on with it. And two, who needs one turn of only being able to see 24 inches after you've just had prep bombardment? Yeah. Rally, rally, rally. I can't see you, so rally. The only thing that can see are forward deployers. The gentleman had a, uh, a spotter. And even where the spotter was, he still wasn't 24 inches from my closest unit. So he couldn't he couldn't see anything. He couldn't do anything. So I rolled a one on prep bombardment, because of course I did. Mm -hmm. And he got his he got his prep. So he put a load of pins on things. And that was fine, except for one of my multi-launchers, where um, it decided it didn't want to rally and it wanted to stick with three pins on it. So I was a bit like, mm, that's annoying. Um, and 
um, I just spent the first turn rallying while he spent the first turn going down. So I was just like, why? Just play meeting engagements. Yeah. So um, anyway, um, good opponents. He was a nice enough guy. Um, you know, I will be honest. Like I call a spade a spade. He takes a while to make decisions sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, I did find myself towards the end of the game grinding my teeth because at the point at the end of the game, I was uh, I was losing. And um, he was taking a while with some decisions. I don't think he was doing it intentionally. I wouldn't. Mm-hmm. I don't think at all. He just it was tight, and he didn't want to lose or draw because he was winning. Um, and we had like ten minutes left, turn seven. I was like, "Come on, come on, come on!" Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so he, he played. He played it well. He played all the cover, which is where I realised I needed all that nice rough ground. I made a silly mistake in sticking my multi launcher and my mortar on a road. Um, because there was walls either side looking for that hard cover. Oh, I um, see. But I realised all my dodges and flamers, which were in reserve, because of course you do that, didn't want to get hit by prep, mm-hmm. um, then couldn't use that road to get right up to where his guys were in the hard cover. And this is where my arrogance Ouch. came in. Yeah. Yeah, it's where my arrogance came in because I looked at his list. I looked at the gentleman. I thought, I remember you at the Welsh Open. Um, you, I think I placed higher than him. And I thought, I've not seen you around much. Don't know much about you. So I'm not, not sure about you as a player. Looked at his list, German. Um, and not a lot in it that was competitive. You know, mm-hmm. there's no flamethrower. One multi-launcher. There it is. Okay. Um, he had a, a drilling, which mm-hmm. is the triple auto cannon on a half track. Which is a very good vehicle, but is very mm-hmm. not. It's it's You don't see it a lot, but man, is no. it good. Yeah, it is. You don't play auto cannons often, uh, in, in especially in competitive games. People don't tend to rate them. However, hello. Um, mm-hmm. So that drilling was in reserve. And unfortunately, my steward took a turn in and he'd never played a steward with the bristling machine guns before. So when I wiped out one half of one of his units with just one shooting, 18 dice, mm-hmm. splash on the table, he was asking, so why has that got 18 dice? And I was like, yeah, because it's got this machine gun, that machine gun, blah, blah, blah. Because it's filthy. Um, yeah, there you got it. Yeah, because yeah, it's filthy. Um, but unfortunately, I was a fool. Left my side open. His drilling comes in off reserve. Bang, three auto cannons. Good night, Stuart. Oh, yeah. I was like, ooh, first turn. Second turn, that was. Gone. Silly mistake by me. So he was a good player. He played very, very well. Very tight. Used the cover well. Was picking stuff off. Mm-hmm. He got an early lead on dice. I then started to panic. I realized my arrogance. I realized, my God, I've not thought this through enough. I just thought this will be an easy win. Um, so my one flank then after that, Stuart went, went. The It was the same flank, the multi-launcher with the three pins on. So that was still trying to rally that. That got picked off then by the units coming down the flank. So mm-hmm. one flank just went, started to sweat a bit, but um, dug through. I think he was three dice up going into the end of turn six. Um, and we got to turn seven. I got it. I rolled it. It went seven. I thank, I thank the high heavens. And um, and this sounds dodgy, and I felt really bad for this, but I was pulling, and I managed to pull something like three or four of my own dice first. Yeah. So and I hate it when that happens because mm-hmm. that looks so bad, especially because I needed it. Yes. Um, and my when my one Stuart that was within an inch of his drilling that decided to miss it shot. Um, the last turn, Ouch. Um, that, that drilling then got flamed. I then um, shot his flamethrower off. I burnt his flamethrower off the board. So that gave me the two dice I needed to get a draw. And unfortunately, with what he had left on the board, couldn't really do the damage. And it was all down to me then trying to kill this motorcycle 
few bits mm-hmm. with like random rifles my inexperienced rifleman running up at it um after he'd missed moving towards him to try and kill him um shooting it with a single rifle trying to get those sixes um to try and get the dice exactly level to hope to nick one you know so i managed to save a draw he went on he, he had more dice i think it was he killed seven or eight and i killed six or seven something like that but he was one dice ahead of me but of mm-hmm. course with me, no man's land you need two dice advantage to win Yes. So that was class as a draw. Um, and it was interesting because it was the only other Welshman in the uh, in the Nationals. I um, And you drew. Um, we drew, yeah, we drew. And it was the Welsh, to be Welsh champion, Welsh champion, I'm using air quotes there, mm-hmm. um, you had to be top-placed Welshman. So the fact that we drew meant that I then had to work my backside off to, uh, to, to win the other games mm-hmm. so that I finished top place. But uh, no, it was a great game. I enjoyed it um it was you know a lot of people came and wandered around that last turn to watch um i was bouncing while he was making decisions and i was just like rocking going come on come on on." (laughs) i was like looking at my set my phone up i do see to and as soon as they say start i put the timer on so i can see the time Mm -hmm. i know how long is left which helps and doesn't at the same time doesn't help your your blood pressure but helps you to know when dice are going to go down yeah, not at all. So um, I think my personally, my arrogance, my arrogance lost me that uh, or uh, drew me that game. Mm-hmm. Um, I could have won if I did. And I learned and there's a lesson learned there. You know, don't just because you see a list. And, and unfortunately, it's happened to me before. Not not that I didn't rate the player. But when I was at a national tournament at Russell Rice uh, writes, I played a guy with loads of half tracks in Germans. And I thought mm-hmm. half tracks, gosh, oh, this is a bit silly. And then he, he beat me. Yeah. <laughs> so, Look. you know. Yeah. How many times? Brian Cook won uh, our biggest national event a couple of years ago running a half track list. And people went, wait, what? And that, Brian Cook, of course, who wrote the Budapest book. Um, yes. Yeah. Just smashed face and just walked through the place. And people were like, I just don't get it. And you're like, yeah, it's, it's how you use the list, not what's in it. Um, exactly. It's yeah. true. And I've, I've got to say in that uh, Russell Wright at first didn't believe, but now he's uh, he's thoroughly um, involved in it. And I said, I would trust an Italian or Norwegian player who's been using the same list for 10 years mm-hmm. over somebody who's been given the filthiest Russian list you can think of um, for their first tournament. Yeah, Because they just, they know their list. They know their men inside out. They know what to do with them. They know the tactics. They played enough. Mm-hmm. So yeah, never judge. Don't judge a list by its paper. I don't know. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> judge it by its player. <laughs> well, my first what round about was similar to yours in that it was, drum roll please, No Man's Land. Oh. So I also <laughs> played No Man's Land and I also played against Germans. But, you know, lucky for me in... All the games I played on the weekend, I was playing on snow tables, which Ooh. never happens. It oh, ever it's happens. true. It doesn't. No. And Rare. I played nothing but Germans. Spoilers. So for me, it actually, my fins looked the right part. I mean, continuation war was against the Soviets. I get it. But the Finns did fight the Germans at one point. So look, I'm counting this as a theme win. Totally by accident. <laughs> But it worked, and I was on a winter table every time. And there were more than one winter table. And, it, you know, anyway, wonderful. But I ended up playing against Garrett from the Bacon Burgers, who is Mm. one of, I I believe on 
old Ghost Army podcast episodes. I don't think I've ever talked about him on Cast Eyes because he stopped playing for a while. But at one point, I've called him my kryptonite. On another part, I've called him my nemesis. <laughs> I have... Um, I have called him all sorts of interesting titles over the years. He is an incredibly good player. He plays all games to that high level. And he's very clever about where he puts units. And he sees the board the way a lot of players don't. I describe it as when I am looking at a board and I think I'm doing something cool and tactical, like the, the numbers start dropping in front of my eyes and it's like the Matrix. Garrett lives there. That is what he does. And so playing against him in the first round, I was like, oh, God, this is going to hurt. And his <laughs> list was a triple two, speaking of autocannons, a stummel, a truck with a machine gun, and the engineer half track with a panzerbusch. In that, he had three squads of pioneers with nothing but SMGs, so all vets. Um, decked out for assault, and a lieutenant, and with a buddy. And I was just sitting there going, I don't know how I'm going to beat this. Because uh, he had all the tools to wipe out my squads and to wreck my T-28s. And it was a kill point mission because no man's land, You're not. it's not an objective based. And so we set up, and thankfully, most of the terrain was set up and that it was sort of terrain on both sides and then there was a big piece in the middle and some other little trees around in sort of on either side of the big piece in the middle and preliminary bombardment of course comes in and hit both of us and we both got lots of pins uh, but I was able to rally almost everything in the first turn and then I just started moving forward I um, I used one of the T-28s as a, mo a mobile wall to because they are so long. They're basically a bus that I walked, I basically guarded two squads with and gave heavy cover to um, because of where I placed the tank. Um, that tank then took a crud load of pins because Garrett had kept all of his vehicles off the table and they all then rolled on and started punishing me from a distance. Um, and that T-28 took seven pins, which, ouch. Uh, but over the course of the game, I was able to rally those off. Then the other T-28 took, I think, eight pins at one point, which meant it was one away from being pinned off the board. Thankfully, again, I was able to rally most of those off. And over the course of the game, lots of things died. Um, there was super high casualty within units, but weirdly, and I'll explain why it's weird when we get to the end of the game, very tactical. We spent a lot of time sort of jockeying around that middle terrain piece um, and going in and out of cover, hiding, going down at opportune moments to try and preserve our order dice. It was an incredibly challenging and wonderful game to play. Garrett, I forgot how much fun he is to play as well, and we made jokes and laughed the entire time, but it was probably the most challenging game of bolt action I've had in years and at the end of it we both had killed one dice in the opponent's army list even though we both had most of our infantry models dead the order dice were still on the board and we just couldn't complete and take the other ones off so we ended up drawing which I was very happy with uh, 
considering yeah. what I thought would happen in the beginning of the game. But yeah, wonderful game, great opponent, and thank God his vehicles were open-topped for the most part uh, because my riflemen actually were able to put pins on in the right moments. And I don't think either one of us had awesome luck moments, but at two points in our game, uh, Garrett got, I think, a five-dice run of dice and then i pulled i think six dice for him in a row at one point so it was super Oof. lopsided as far as order dice pulling uh but again it ended as a draw it was a wonderful game i had a blast yes yeah, it's, uh, it's nasty when you end up i hate it you're pulling out it's just oh yours again yep yours again <laughs> why why yeah. yeah well we were sitting there just saying you know what bolt action happens you know, they, yes, it and does. we both did it. Uh, unfortunately, both times it was his dice. But that did mean that in one crucial part of the game, I was able to then have basically my entire army move and deploy as a whole because I knew he had, I think I had seven order dice in the bag and he had one. And so I just went, yep, I know what I'm going to do. This, 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 and this. And that really helped, which is something that, consistency is something you don't normally see in bolt action and so that was really no. interesting but yeah it's the, that was my first round how about your second round sir so my second round so we're using best coast pairings now so um i had to play against someone else who had drawn their first game um and luckily someone else had done um so i was playing pete from the juggernauts mm -hmm. um so a bit of a podcast versus podcast uh battle um, and this is where Pete had um, surprised me a bit because I knew Pete was a Japanese player. Mm -hmm. Talks about him Pete a lot. Had, yeah, he does. And um, there he was there with US. Now, I'd like to point out at this point um, that eight of us were there. And you'd, <laughs> you, wouldn't, you couldn't do this again. This will never happen again. But eight players, four players were playing Germans, four players were playing US. Mm -hmm. So it was just US and Germans, Battle of the Bulge style. Um, for the whole tournament so um, first game Germans second game US so a bit of blue on blue um, I just found the listings from the game the first gentleman I played was Gary Morgan there we are there I've got go. names now I thought I need names because I, I feel bad it's horrible and he would have gotten um, away with it too if you hadn't found that list sorry going back to the Scooby-Doo joke go ahead I did yeah I got that then like it um so we were playing timely objectives now I'd never ever in a million years played timely objectives. I'd never heard of it I, can't, I think I had heard of it. I, that's a lie. I think I've heard of it before. So the, the objective, you've got three objectives on the board and they've got to go on the center line, mm -hmm. 12 inches away from each other. Um, so everything's in the center. You get to place them. One person obviously places one. Uh, another person places two. You roll off to see who starts. Um, but yeah, they have to be centered and then obviously 12 inches away. Now, 12 inches away allows large squads to take two objectives because we're playing warlord rules here. Right. Um, and I, I imagine most people do, which means you need to be three inches away from the objective to mm -hmm. claim it. Um, Welsh, when we play the Welsh Open, we play touching the objective. None of this three inches business, you have to be touching it. So I'm not really used to that too much. But um, I don't think any of them were 12 inches. I think we were further than 12 inches away. So there was no shenanigans with two units taking a taking two objectives going on there but i just thought it was something i thought about as uh, as as when we were talking talking through the pack uh, mm -hmm. pete um and the way it works is you get a point for every objective you're on at the end of the turn uh, so that old chestnut yeah, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that old the old classic. So um, obviously you've got that availability if you're on if you're on one objective for six turns, you get six points at the end of the game. So Pete's playing Rangers. Rangers oh. gets a lead away. Oh, oh, ouch. So turn one, turn one. Um, Pete has decided not to put anything on the board, uh, not to put anything off the board. Sorry, he's just gone everything. We need the objective, so everything needs to be on the board, which is yeah. a valid. Um, a valid tactic here um and of course lead the way anything there was a bit of terrain on uh, you know some of it was open you could yeah. get to, basically you could get to one objective by turn one so on turn one he was on one objective straight away so he's already getting a point i've already got to try and remove these large us ranger squads because they were all big they're derby's rangers they get nine inch movement through rough ground um so you know it's not quite a run but it's quite a bit of movement um and he's got a Sherman 105 um, with the nice howitzer on mm-hmm. with the veteran. So it's got the uh, stabilizers so it doesn't pay for its movement. He's got a, um, a multi launcher back at the table. He's got a sniper and he's, um, and he's got lots of big squads. They've all got tough fighter as well. So my thinking here, I'm thinking, right, well, I'm going to keep some things in reserve because I want to see where he's going first so I can bring stuff on after. Um, and I'll put something in out flank because I've purposely put one of the objectives that I got to put down a bit close to the side. That was mistake one. Mm. Timely objectives, you're playing timely objectives, don't outflank, it's pointless because you've got three turns wasted straight away. Yeah. It's not key positions. It's not key positions. Mm-hmm. We can nick it at the last minute and win that objective. Um, and he put a sniper about 12 inches from that objective. And that was enough of an annoyance to force me to bring one of my squads on that side, knowing that the outflank was there. I thought if he just moves forward, he's gonna eventually he's gonna get within that objective and start making points. Yeah. So the outflankers on that side then wasted, pointless, utterly pointless, because now this engineer squad are gonna go up and deal with the sniper, which they did. And then he brought a squad over to try and deal with the engineer squad, which they did. Um, and then my steward that was that side dealt with them. Mm-hmm. But it then meant that that objective had no men on it and I had to wait till turn three um, to, to get. So, yeah, so turn two, I got points off that objective on the side. Turn three, they were gone. My boys in that flank didn't fancy coming on, just didn't fancy it. Nope. Um, and so I didn't get onto that objective till turn four with an engineer squad with a flamethrower that was going to do absolutely nothing. They had a bar but it was literally going to be at long range shots at things are hard cover. It's just pointless almost yeah. two, two dice. So that was wasted. Um, there was a nice little unit of uh, houses in, in the middle of the board. Uh, the objective was the other side of them. I could stick my Stuart just right in a little crack where all my machine guns could see through, but it was going to get hard cover, which I thought was quite clever. The objective, try and get him to avoid that um, objective because he doesn't want to get shot at. But Pete, I was waiting the player, for the butt. <laughs> yeah, you know, Pete being a good player, he basically just kind of almost surrounded that objective. So it doesn't matter. I can only shoot at one or two things at a time with my tank. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had a lot to deal with there. And um, he had a bazooka pointing around that area. It was a bit far away and it didn't actually worry me too much. It didn't do anything. It missed both times a shot before I got rid of it. And then he had a flamethrower coming up as well, which I think is what eventually cooked it. I can't remember now. Did the bazooka get through? When something happened, the tank went though, which then blocked that little gap. I couldn't get through with my engineer squad to try and burn things, which oh. made a problem. And then the other side of the board, uh, he brought on a squad of rangers and his Sherman. His Sherman did nothing, he took two shots 
at my uh, multi-launcher and just missed everything. So my flamethrower came in from out flank, cooked the Sherman, the Sherman ran. Mm-hmm. Um, and then is when I started to realize after turn two, uh, yeah, turn two or three, I started to realize this, turn three, I think, um, he was using his rangers like Japanese because they were large squads with tough fighter and he just charged a mm-hmm. lot. So <laughs> I was like, oh, didn't see that one coming. You know, you can take you can take the Japanese army away from the player, but you can't take the Japanese tactics away um, away. So he was still using them quite like Japanese. He was able to kill and then jump back. People have so, play uh, styles, right? They do, they do, and and this is Pete's. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and this is where you throw me now. The next game I play against him, you'll play nothing like it, and I'll be really shocked. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so turn one, I lost a bit to the multi launcher as well. I think he got rid of my the multi launcher got blown up by his multi launcher. Uh, my officer standing next to my multi launcher got snipered, so that flag went away again. So you know, and even I think he said he said to me, "You're quite unlucky with early dice." Obviously, that gave him control. And and from that point then, I think it was 2-1, turn one. So he got two points, I got one. Mm-hmm. 2-1, turn two. 2-0, turn three. Mm. 2-1, turn four. And I got to be honest, I did something that I don't normally do. And actually, I won't ever do again. But I was looking at it because it's timely objectives, because you can see what's going to happen. It's yeah. not a key position. I could see there was no way I could win this. Yeah. It, was, it was impossible. He had, he had men in the right place on ambush. I had one engineer squad with a flamethrower left that was hiding behind a building. If it came out, he was going to get shot to death. Mm-hmm. I had one steward that had to get closer and closer to a bazooka to do anything, and they can't take objectives because they're vehicles. Um, I had one, I think my officer was picking, he's an experienced officer, and my multi-launcher that was left was still hanging around, and then I had a bunch of Jeeps just randomly driving to the back of the door. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said to him, look, I can't win this. Do you want to carry on? Or would you like to sit and chat? And actually, thinking about it, because I placed above Pete, but only because I had more kills than him. We had the same points. Um, although I did have significantly 45 to 37. So I think he'd have probably killed three more things if we'd have carried on, because I yeah. would have just hidden. I wouldn't have bothered. I'd have just kept my points, yeah. my dice. He would have had to come for me. And I saw that coming. And I thought, do you want to give up? And you, oh, do you, you happy for yeah. me to concede? Because... This was a tournament, and like the Welsh Open, you get one point for a loss in the Welsh Open and zero points for a concession. So it keeps you in the game. But with the Warlord pack, you get zero points for a loss, regardless of whether you lost or conceded. Right. So I said to him, are you happy? If you want to play on, I'll play on. But I didn't tell him, obviously, all I was going to do was sit back. Um, but he was happy to end the game. But to be honest, I afterwards, at the end of the day, I had a bad taste in my mouth because I'd done that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't like people who concede normally. Normally, mm-hmm. if people concede, they concede in anger. And I wasn't angry. I just knew the rest of this game was going to be boring yeah. um, for both parties. So, But I probably wouldn't do it again. I probably wouldn't even put the option on the board again. So if Pete does listen, I apologize, Pete. He didn't take it any. He didn't take it badly, but I still feel like I should apologize. Yeah, I see what um, you're saying. I mean, that's one of the problems with that style mission and why I yeah. removed the count objective points from objectives style mission that was in the original bolt action alliance 2020 pack because it can get away from you really early bolt action you know for better or for worse does have some swingy moments bolt action happens yeah. we say that all the time and so in a situation like that it can feel 
unforgiving if someone gets ahead of you in points. I've been playing a lot of Marvel Crisis Protocol recently, and that is a regular occurrence in that game. And I really like it in that game because they have two sets of objectives that run simultaneously on the board, so it doesn't feel so bad. Um, yeah. There's other ways to win. Not to mention, if you get really far behind, you can still throw a car at someone, and that feels really good. So <laughs> I like to do that. That is that is Brad mode right there. Uh, and, you know, it's a lot of fun. However, I... I keep wanting to like that style of scenario mm. for bolt action, and yet I think you I can't. You add kill points to it. You, you add kill points to it, and it becomes a bit different because then yeah. if you're losing on objectives and you can try and kill things, and and then there's an, an, another element to it. You know, things could have gone differently for me if I did not put that unit in outflank and just in reserve. Right. Then I probably could have brought on, got rid of the Sherman, and then brought the next unit on and got rid of that unit in the forest that was holding another objective. Yeah. Um, and things might have been a bit more interesting. There might mm -hmm. be more of a pincer situation going on where, because in my head originally, I was saying he had three he had three turns or two turns of 2-1. And I thought to myself, if I can get turn five and six, or maybe even six and seven to 2 one, right. then I bring it level, you know, but I yeah. need to get an objective. And I just, exactly. it just wasn't possible to hold it. And I could get him off it, but I don't think I'd have been able to hold it. Yeah. Again, once you get behind, it, it can feel bad. And I, I, I really like bolt action in that it swings and it's cinematic and you can have those heroic wins. And I love that about the game. I, uh, Anthony from the Ghost Army podcast once wrote a mission called Scalps and it was very similar to what you're describing. However, mm. what made it different was you didn't get the objective points. The units did. And if you were able to kill them, um, I believe in assault or if you killed them, they would drop the objective points and you could capture them. And so yeah. they were a resource that you would take and hold on to, but then could be taken from you. And that kept the opponent in the game. I thought that was a very clever mission when he wrote it. That is, yeah. I yeah. like that because you could almost get an objective for two turns, take two turns worth of points, and then go, right, I've had enough now. I'm going to pull away and exactly. go hide these points somewhere because they're my points now. Mm -hmm. And I need to keep this unit alive. And it also plays out, I think, because all part of uh, objective missions, um, and I think some people don't realize this, but part of the whole tactic and thing is putting objectives down. Mm -hmm. And some people just go, oh, this this road by here looks good because it's a crossroads. And they just chuck the objective there. And you think to yourself, but that's a massive benefit for yeah, me. Thank exactly. You, you know, yeah, why exactly. have you done that? So in that situation where you get to steal objective points, you stick them out in the open then, you know, not near any cover. Go, and you have that one, that's yours. You nick a couple of points and then I'll come along and kill you because you're out in the open and I'll pick up those points. Exactly. And they'll be mine. Yeah, I like that. I like that, actually. That's a really good play. Perhaps... Perhaps we can uh, suggest that one to, to Warlords and maybe they'll change time the objectives. Pretty sure we still have scalps in. somewhere. I'll have to find it. have to find it. It's a great oh. mission. Uh, my second round was a little something different, and I don't mean to bring the party down a little, uh, but <laughs> it's it's been an interesting year at work. I'm, I've been given a lot of roles that I absolutely adore and I've been asking for for years, and unfortunately I've been given them all at once. And so I had, I was very tired and haggard by the time that I got to that game. Bolt action is a mentally taxing game, and I'm out of shape. I fully acknowledge that. And all the fun casual games I've been playing since lockdown ended 
have been single games, not multiple <laughs> games. And adding to that, I was I was exhausted. And I knew from previous experience, and you've mentioned it in what you were saying before about how I generally avoid competitive play these days, because uh, it it I react poorly to it. Um, I usually then try and take it on too much, and I try not to feed the beast, um, especially when I'm exhausted or I'm feeling like you know my mental health isn't awesome. And I had been covering for a lot of my coworkers who are out with COVID. I had tons of extra duties at work the week running up to this. I almost didn't go, but then I thought I really should go and have fun. But I was tired, and there was an odd number of players, and I just said, look, I, I'm not interested in playing on the top table. I don't care. Uh, I'm here to <laughs> play a couple games and have some fun. And there's a really cool, because it was at House of War, and I haven't been out there in a long time, and it's a huge shop. And I haven't been in a hobby shop in a long time and got really excited and was like, you know what? Put me in. Don't give me the buy. Just I won't play in the second round. It's fine. I'll play in the third round and I'll have a good time. And it gave me a couple of hours to go get a cup of coffee, bum around the shop, figure out that they had the rest of the X-Men I didn't have for Marvel <laughs> Crisis nice. Protocol that I was very excited about because... As far as I knew, they hadn't come out in Australia yet, and there they were on the shelf. So it was a little bit like Christmas. So I bought all of those, and I had a good chat with the shopkeeper, and I got to watch some games. Um, and I got to watch uh, Lee Avery, who is, of course, um, my regular opponent, and Tristan from the Bacon Burgers, and they were playing a very tight game. And so I got to watch about half of that game as well. And it was just good to sit down and watch high-quality bolt-action happening, I have zero regrets about stepping out and had a blast. And that was me. That was my second round. Um, I bought X-Men and drank coffee and had a good time. And uh, <laughs> That sounds like a good second round, though. Yeah, it was great. Um, I, had, fact, I have zero regrets about my choices. That's brilliant. I was going to say, Johnny Curran at lunch was turning around saying the perfect tournament would be like a game and then like an hour's rest. Yeah. And then a game and then an hour's rest. We've mm -hmm. gone forever, but like yeah. that, I was, that I was half an hour's rest maybe rather than, you know, because obviously a lot of tournaments, I guess, well, here in the UK, you tend to get there, you play a game, and then you have lunch, and then you play two games. Yes. But the jump between the two games is a bit of a, especially because they're your last, you know, you get to the end of the day. Mm -hmm. Or if you're playing six games in, you know, over a two-day tournament, you kind of hang in, you need a little more rest in between those uh, those two last games. Um, but yeah, that's what he said. He said, every game should come with like a half an hour, 45 minute, one hour rest in between. Mm -hmm. So I think that's, I think it's brilliant. You do, in my opinion, you do you. You yeah, do exactly. you, you're not hurting. You weren't hurting anyone in mm -hmm. that situation. You you know, you just thought it's going to be much easier. Otherwise, by the end of this day, I'm going to be cranky. I'm going to be a horrible opponent. Mm -hmm. and, you know, nobody wants that. No, nobody exactly. Exactly. So, so that was my round two. So uh, you're round three, my good man. Uh, my round three was against good friend Phil. So we joked that I picked Phil up before the tournament. He doesn't live that far from me. So I picked him up and took him down. Murphy's uh, Law Tournaments. <laughs> yeah. You yeah, end up playing yeah, the exactly. guy you drove with. Yeah, it's, it is. And it's the guy I played for the last two weeks as well in preparation and run up to this tournament. So yep. I played his list twice already. Um, and we laughed and joked in the car about it saying, oh, you know, I bet you know watch now we'll play each other because there's only eight people we'll end mm -hmm. up playing each other and i was like eh, probably a chance so yeah we did phil had a bit of a gripe about it in because he didn't want to he was like yeah, i yeah. played this guy loads of times mm -hmm. um, but paul paul's answer to it was basically 
well, you guys just need to play better then. Because <laughs> oh. I was a draw and a loss, and I think Phil was on two losses at the time. So, um, yeah, that was yeah, it. Straight answer. Call a spade a spade, as he mm-hmm. says. Um, so yeah, so we had we had double envelopment. Uh, the um, <laughs> the most pointless scenario in bolt action because even the story doesn't make any sense right why would it why would an opponent try past each other they, they would stop envelopment makes sense you're trying to stop someone from getting to another objective somewhere off the board we know, we call that mission ships in the night just passing yeah, like exactly, ships yeah. in the night exactly it's, it's crazy um and phil's got an incredibly aggressive army there's no artillery no mortars it's all about movements so he's got He's got two trucks and two marauders um, with machine guns on. Uh, each course. one is holding pioneers with uh, regular pioneers with flamethrowers. Um, he's got, what else he got? He's got a sniper team. And he has a pans, an inexperienced Panzer IV because he wants that cheap Tiger Fear. Oh, God. He wants the cheap Tiger Fear. Um, and we discussed this quite a lot as well with the cheap Tiger Fear, because of course, because Tiger Fear is now some sort of maze and web of rules, mm-hmm. um, and it's ended up being awful. You only get it from 18 inches, yeah. which I find laughable because it's like, imagine standing whatever the equivalent in real distances, 24 inches away from a, a tiger, a panzer or a tiger, yeah. and, a, and, a, and a unit of men. And you go, I can see that's a unit of men that are bad guys, so I can shoot them. But what's that big metal thing next to them? I can't tell, so I'm not worried about it. So I'll just carry on shooting at them. Yeah. I just like what? <laughs> anyway, that's that's a completely different conversation. So you've got to get it in the middle of the table to to get that tiger fear. But yeah. of course, by getting it in the middle of the table, um, what you're going to realize is that anything that's off the table, like a bazooka or mm-hmm. a, a flamethrower team or anything like that, they're going to come on. They don't have to do the tiger fear check when they come on because they start off the table. Yeah. Um, but if they're within 18 inches, all they've got to do is is um, a, a normal check minus one coming out of the vehicle towards the, the tiger, which is better than what it used to be, where they didn't have to do a check because mm-hmm. apparently people inside vehicles can't see anything outside of them. Um, bolt so, action. Yeah, yeah, bolt action. But um, yeah, so then your, your pan's going to be in trouble to bazookas and stuff like that, or tanks coming on the, on the board and will just roll on and shoot. So we discussed that previously and i think he's going to make some changes to his list because of it but it does make for a bit of a pain sometimes especially when you're me with my inexperienced multi-launchers and mortars and officers and stuff but mm-hmm. luckily didn't get close enough um and it was a road down the middle of the table i got about halfway with some houses i hit some i hit some stewards around those houses he came towards to get off the board because that's obviously the objective and mm-hmm. i basically put machine gun shots into them and they blew up and the men dismounted, and then they were out in the open for my flamethrowers. So, unfortunately, Phil, we had a great game, had a great laugh, but um, Phil um, Phil lost everything bar his Panzer, he, Panzer IV. Um, I had some, I had men at the other end of the table running as well, as far away as possible, running up the table bit by bit to get off my officers, which are useless and stuff, mm-hmm. um, just to get those three points. And it meant that he had to turn things around, like his sniper wasted two turns now having to move to the other side of the board to shoot at them before they got off. And um, but before he they got shots off, they were killed. Is 
eventually his tank turns trying to stop them, but that just showed his rear to my stewards, Ooh, who then yeah. magically used their light anti-tank guns, but still couldn't blow them up. <laughs> um, but yeah, in the end, it was it was something like 36-2, I think. Ouch. I think he killed two things, yeah. Um, and, we dis- and we spent a lot of time then discussing tactics. We discussed his list, um, what he can do for competitive tournaments next time, because he's going to go to English Nationals. So we discussed what he could do with it, what he needs. Um, mm. And yeah, it's great. It's, it's great to have an idea where you have this only attacking list. And the idea is, is to get into the face with the Jeeps and the trucks and mm-hmm. then jump out and burn things and get lots of kills. But without that artillery backing you up, I said, I said to him, I'm not worried about any of my mortars. I'm not worried about my multi-launchers. I can stick them out in the open because I don't have to think about hiding them from where you're going to put your artillery or your yeah. mortars or your spotters. So we discussed that and making sure he had something that could pick on things that don't move. Um, and uh, yeah, he's a good guy, Phil. He's, he's a right laugh. Um, I enjoy playing him. Um, he doesn't take life seriously at all, at all. Um, so I did thoroughly enjoy that. But that was nice. my my first win. And I was quite happy with that. It was the end of the day as well. So I was buzzing, started organising socials for the, mm-hmm. for the evening and, and going out for drinks with people who would come down. Um, and I was, yeah, a draw, a loss and a win. Wasn't where I wanted to be, to be honest. I'd have much rather three wins, as, as you would normally would, uh, be in the Welsh tournament. But mm-hmm. I was I was quite happy. I was, I was, I was content. Nice. What about your round three? You were nice and relaxed now after a coffee, after watching a tough game I and was. beaming. You want, I, bet, I bet you want to just get home and paint those X-Men, didn't you? I, <laughs> I, I did, actually. And embarrassingly, <laughs> they're still in the box on my shelf. <gasps> I know. Uh, I, got excited about, I got excited about bolt action, man. Uh, what can I say? But my round three, I ended up playing a guy I'd never met. He has been around. He's been playing a little bit. But uh, in, a, in events I hadn't been to, uh, and he'd been playing in some social days that I hadn't also been to, and so I was really excited. He knew the rules. Like, he wasn't a new player, but he was new for me. So I was super excited about that. It was a nice guy, a guy named John. And mm. he set up his Germans. And I did feel a little bad after our game because his list was more generic-focused than I think my list was. So I definitely think I had a slight advantage there. Uh, he had, I believe he had three German rifleman squads, fairly large ones, with one Panzerfaust each. I think a couple of them had LMGs. There was some SMGs sprinkled in. Then there was a veteran pioneer squad. I don't think he, he may have had a flamethrower. Oh, he had a flamethrower somewhere else. But they were decked out for assaulting, and they had Panzerfausts. Then there was a flamethrower team, there was a mortar, there was a machine gun bike, there was a truck with a machine gun, maybe a half track, uh, and I'll tell you why I don't remember in a second, and a few other bits and pieces. But his army, and we were playing hold until relieved, and I was holding the middle, and he sort of had deployed in a crescent around me, but he kept his vehicles in reserve. And over the course of the game, he never brought them on. And I I couldn't quite figure out why until the end of the game. And then it became very clear to me that he was going to try and get in, contest the objective, and keep me from winning. 
because it was that one central objective. I, in figuring that out, um, just parked my still living and happily machine gunning away T-28s in a giant V and basically built Trump's wall around the objective. So uh, it was like, yeah, great wall of China. Come get me. Uh, And so he just couldn't get to them in time. But then in having those off the table and in coming at me with the, the horseshoe shape around my army, I was able to comfortably take his army apart piecemeal, which was really unfortunate. He was a really good player. He made really good decisions, um, and it just didn't work out for him. And I felt really bad because I really liked the game, and I really want to play him again with both of us having more standard lists. Um, He clearly had gone out of his way to make something that was a little bit more newbie friendly or generic uh, than I did. Mine was a little bit of a corner case with the two big tanks, um, given that they are still armor seven and they're unreliable, but um, he had no anti-tank other than the flamethrower and the Panzerfaust. And he did blow up my, or immobilized and and turret jammed my uh, armored car with the Panzerfaust. Turret jam? Yeah, turret I know. Jam? Who who would have thought? Turret jam? We even had that conversation. Are we gonna play with turret jam? And I was like, sure, why not? Ooh. Let's do it. Um, you hit me. Let's roll it. And so, <laughs> my armored car was basically useless after that, which is why I was thinking that it was destroyed. But yeah, I basically killed almost everything in his army, bar the two vehicles that came in at the end, and I think one squad of guys that had been knocked down to a smaller size in a building somewhere. But yeah, I, my, because, and there was also a great big honking tower in the middle of the board. So I was able to just run my fin squads up basically unmolested without getting hit with anything. And I was able to knock out the mortar really early. So my riflemen just got up close and I actually had them within running distance of the objective a couple of turns before the end of the game. And so I was like, well, I don't know what to do with them. I'll just put them in ambush. And his veterans decided to charge me from over a wall. And that meant that I got to ambush fire them with fins with the plus one to hit. And I have never rolled that many sixes in my life. Um, (laughs) It was, it was truly ugly. Uh, it was an eight-man squad, I think. They were shooting. Um, there was an SMG somewhere in there, but I think it was like seven rifles. I think I had seven sixes to hit, and then everything was a five or a six to wound. And I think that... Mm. And then he had like two veteran, veterans left, and then I think he failed his test and died. And I was like, what, what just happened? That, that shouldn't have... I was expecting to do a pin. What just happened? So, yeah, plus one to shoot, pretty good. And I don't think I needed it because I rolled all the sixes. So, bolt action happens, kids. But, no, uh, it was a great game. I do feel really bad. I feel like it was probably closer than I'm making it sound because I didn't really take a lot of stuff off until turn five and six. Um, But the game was well and truly over at the end. Um, and I won, and I would love to play him again. John, if you're listening, please, I would love to play you again with any army you choose. We'll do this. But yeah, I, I basically walked out with the draw, 
uh, a tall cup of coffee and some X-Men and a win. So that was my tournament experience, but it was great. And then to end the day, there was a podium, there were prizes and all of that. Um, and it was great. And it was good to see, you know, the people getting awards for things. And uh, rather embarrassingly, I got best painted. Um, now, Tristan, <laughs> I'm sure on his podcast will say that he and I tied for best painted uh, because we <laughs> technically did. But the rules for the tournament stipulated that you can only win one prize. And I know uh, Tristan okay. prefers to win painting prizes to overall, but he won overall. So I won best painted. Uh, um, <laughs> so, yeah, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. But uh, it was I, I was really happy with how the army looked on the table on the day. I was really happy with the games that I played, and it really got me reinvigorated for Bolt Action, which is what I really wanted to do going into this Easter event where Lee and I will be uh, tournament organizing for a two-day event. I wanted to make sure I had my Bolt Action juices flowing, and I really feel like I'm back in my groove. And uh, it was a really positive day, and I can't thank Andrew enough for running it. It was a great day, and I hope he does more of them because I, I really like playing bolt action, and I don't always get a chance to do it. So, awesome. Excellent stuff. Excellent stuff. You do sound you, you revigorated. You know, you, you, you're keen. You're eager. You wanna. You wanna run. You've got. You've got the bug again. And, I, and that's, I may and that's what you want. even be painting some World War Two models right now. Don't even. Do Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> We'll nice, see. We'll nice. see what I get done on the school holidays. But uh, I've been working a lot on uh, on village terrain uh, for the new jungle board, and um, I'm really looking forward to they see how good. that works out. Man, Knights of Dice, right? Everything Viv does is brilliant, um, and those are his cheap range. So he does really high quality, detailed MDF jungle terrain, um, like village terrain. These beautiful buildings. Mm. But then he also does this Tableau Rasa line, which is it, it has all the details stripped out. It's just the bare boxes in the shapes. And I was like, cool, I'll, yeah. I'll buy a couple of those and I'll put a thatched roof on the top. And I painted them up and my God, do they look good. And yeah, if you know, if you know what you're doing with like that sort of MDF, then you, yeah. you, you, you know, you can make it look as good because I'm, I'm i think i'm probably in the same boat as you like foreground for example do mm -hmm. wonderful interior stuff and exterior stuff and then they have their basics range which is like half the price mm -hmm. because it is basically a box with windows and a door and, and a roof mm -hmm. and you know a little bit of sand a little bit of pva glue proper you know a bit of masonry paint causes mm -hmm. some cracks and stuff and you can make them look just as good I'm not an inside man. I don't care about interior. I'm not playing bolt action to mm -hmm. look inside a doll's house and, and stuff. Unless, of course, you buy their big hotel. Yeah. And then you purposely, you're buying it for the interior. Exactly. Zombie game or whatever you want to do. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. yeah. Um, I actually, funny but, you mentioned that because I bought three of those low detail foreground... Um, buildings to add to my existing village board hmm. um, and I went to paint them and they were laser burned and I can't remember if I've said this on a podcast guys I'm sorry if I have I apologize so I actually and I know yes I know you need to wipe them um, and I wiped them but they were still badly laser burned um, because they're pre-painted the laser had burned the paint and so they looked scorched on the edges and it just looked really bad when I put it together. And that had not been my experience with foreground in the past. And I was really kind of disappointed by it. 
But then I realized because of the way the kits go together, because they're pre-painted, everything is on the sprue in the right color. So I, I pulled apart what I'd done and I shaved and everything else I hadn't built, I took off the sprue and I cleaned up and shaved a little bit nibs off from where it attached to the frame. Took them outside and sprayed them in the right color because I have a hell of a rattle can collection. And, you know, sprayed the outsides bone color, sprayed the roof gray, sprayed um, the door frame or the window frames brown, and then put it together the way it was supposed to. And voila, as advertised on the package, perfect. Uh, and yeah, it was great. So if you, if anyone else has had that experience, um, I know foreground's probably not long for this world, but their kits will be around, I'm sure, for a while. If you get one of those kits and you have the same problem, a little bit of spray paint added maybe 10 minutes to the process, and they look sweet. So I'm, I'm really happy with that purchase, and uh, I'm really glad that I took a little risk and gave it a spray, and the end result's great. So I'm looking forward, again, to seeing what those look like on the table. Reese, I am sorry. I am talking about foreground, but we have not talked about your second day. Take us through it, brother. So, yeah, second day. So we all went out for a few drinks the night before. Um, Paul and a couple of the other guys. It's really nice. I, I tell you one thing about Paul Walker. Um, he's, he loves to listen to ideas. He really does want to listen mm. to, to what the community wants. He's all about building community. That's what he wants. Um, so it was, it was nice to have a chat with him and a few drinks at a local bar in, uh, in Cardiff. Um, but yeah, on to day two. Um, so I was paired with Michael Smith, who is the TO for Beachhead. Mm. Um, really, really nice guy. Um, top bloke. Took a bit of flack for his last tournament because his pack said um, no whackers. And depending on how you see a whacker, mm-hmm. you know, some people see him as people who cheat. And personally, I don't. A cheat, someone who cheats is a cheater. Yeah, a whacker exactly. is someone who just plays for example i would class this weekend i was being a whacker this weekend because it was all about who could win but um but for anyway, those listening who who haven't listened to your show a whacker in your parlance is a win at all costs gamer yeah win at all costs yeah so someone will win and some people are classed that winning at all costs will include cheating mm-hmm. i don't i i cheat a cheater is a cheater yeah, um, exactly. someone who wins at all costs is not willing to make friends on the day if you know because mm-hmm. i think about it as a sportsman myself when you play sports you know on the field you, you've got to win and it's as simple as that you know you're not there to, to make friends first you're there to win first and then hopefully everyone's on the same page so after the game you can all have a drink it's nothing's personal so mm-hmm. um, but that's me everyone's different but played michael smith oh he's a lovely bloke um i know he listens to to, to the pod i've spoken to him before about things um but yeah proper top bloke again another german player again pioneers in mm-hmm. trucks double multi-launcher mm-hmm. um a sniper team uh regular medium motor with a spotter uh two um two flamethrowers in kuba wagons but one of those double flamethrower things that um we get two one shotters mm-hmm. so that freaks me out a bit i know he i played love Phil those things man Love them. And I just realized I've been playing those for years and I only just realized the other day that you can split fire with those. Yes. Yes, you can. Um, Yeah, they absolutely panicked me to uh, to bits um, because Phil had played in the day before. So I got a bit of rundown of his uh, his Mm -hmm. army. I knew what what was in it. 
but uh, we played key positions. Um, he got the board. I think I got the board side I wanted. Quite happy with that. Um, and uh, you know, we we placed the objectives down. I was quite happy with where they were. And I just basically slowly got my I got myself into positions quite quickly where I wanted to be. Um, and it really benefited me massively. My steward held down one of his squads with Panzerfaust until I couldn't anymore. And they got close enough to have a pop at my steward, and that went bang. But my other steward sat in ambush. There was a tree line. My multi-launcher came in a few times. Uh, no, actually, it's a lie. Multi-launcher came in once because he had two, I had two, <laughs> and we had multiple like shots. They, they were hitting multiple things. They were, wasn't spread out. Um, but none of them came in until mine came in at the end. So like all those, all those dice, you know, man, must have rolled eighteen plus dice for multi launchers, and only one of them was a six. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, that was interesting. Um, but yeah, unfortunately for for Mike, I think I got into positions early enough, um, and I think the stewards worried him. I don't think he played them before, so he wasn't quite sure what to do. He had minimal anti tank, just the flamethrowers really. And I was making sure I was going nowhere near them. Yeah, exactly. Um, he had an outflanker. I had an outflanker, both on the same side. Unfortunately, he was forced to bring his on first, which Ooh. meant Mike came on after and got rid of them. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, uh, Mike did end the game. We got we did play a turn seven. All he had left with his LT, and um, he was he was he was having a fun time. He still wanted to play the turn seven. He refuses to concede, which is uh, the you know. After what I, with Pete, this is where I started to get that bad taste in my mouth. I thought, mm-hmm. oh, he's right, you shouldn't concede. But um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he refused to concede and he tried something with his officer. I can't remember exactly what he was doing in turn seven, but it was only his officer left on the board and he brought it around. And um, I think he just wanted to see if I would go into hand to hand with him, which I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> and I think two flamethrower shots missed him. And in the end, a re- I think a ridiculous rifle shot killed him so i took everything off the board he took two of my things and i took all three objectives so i got quite a, a strong victory on mm. that one um and then my fifth game was against eventual event uh, winner the eventual winner alex um he had just played richard there was top of the table clash mm-hmm. uh, they played out to a draw so rich was was top at the time alex was second so i was playing second in sectors german again mm-hmm. um and that was an incredibly tight cagey game. He got the side I wanted. I was desperate for his side and his corner, uh, which is the one he picked because I, I had all my positions in my head ready. Mm-hmm. And he got it. So I thought, right, I'm going to have to work hard here. And um, in the end, it came down to a mass of flamethrowers, burning things. Um, every time he went down with a unit, even though down doesn't affect the flamethrower, he was playing for my flamethrower to miss, which it did every time he went down. And oh. it became a bit of a running theme. Got mm-hmm. to turn five or six, and I'd be like, flamethrower. And he'd be like, I'm going to go down because every time I do, you miss. And I'd miss. Um, and it was brilliant. And it was this one moment in the That's game. That's awesome. I love it. It was just, it was, I was, I was fuming. I got to be honest. Psychological warfare. Yeah. A couple of those come in, and they're four point swings, they are, because he got three points for those units in my quarter, and I would have got a point for the kill. So they were four point swings. Mm-hmm. Um, but he played very well. Um, and we basically kind of moved anti-clockwise around the board. So he came that way into my quarter and I went the other way into his quarter with a little battle in the middle beforehand. Mm-hmm. So um, it was this, oh, there was this ridiculous um, uh, moment in the middle of the game where he brought his truck through 
And I was looking at where he put his truck and I'm looking at my mortar that he hadn't removed, my inexperienced mortar that just wouldn't, would refuse to, at this point, do an order check to hit his, uh, uh, his uh, uh, multi-launchers. And um, I'm looking at thinking, that's closer to my mortar than any of his units. And he can't move any of the units around. So I Ooh. think I'd nick that. Oh, I'd nicked it. That's funny. Um, unfortunately, <laughs> I measured it. I went, oh, sorry, mate. That's uh, that's my truck. And a little bit arrogant, you know, a little bit, oh, gutted. Oh, yeah. sorry. And then he just looked at me and he went, you're saying that, but see these two trucks up here, you've chucked up the road. Well, I think you've forgotten my mortars behind that house. Oh, and I'm no. looking, I'm like, oh, no. Oh, no. And he picks up both the trucks with the same smug look on his face <laughs> going, well, I think uh, you deserve that. And I was like, you're right, I do. I absolutely <laughs> do. So that was quite funny. Um, but yeah, so he got the win. I think it was something like 27, 21 in sectors, which I was really happy with because Alex had played well all day, all mm -hmm. weekend. And um, I was a bit concerned playing him. But um, yeah, I was quite happy. Lessons were learned with certain things, mm -hmm. but he eventually won um, and deserved as well. Well-deserved. Richard, unfortunately, lost in sectors to Gary, who, uh, who at this point, um, because Phil had drawn with him game four, I knew that I was going to finish top place Welshman. Um, so I was quite happy with that. But um, <laughs> That's all that matters. That was all that mattered to me. I, to be honest, I was like, in my head, I didn't know any other Welshmen were turning up. So I was like, I'm literally walking into this tournament as Welsh champion because no other Welshmen were going to turn up. And then when I saw Gary, I was like, oh no, got something to worry about. Mm -hmm. So I, I didn't care about winning it. Winning it would have been nice, but Welsh Welsh champion again using air quotes um, was was what I wanted. Um, but to my surprise, we got two um, prizes, and there were nice selection of warlord prizes there. Mm -hmm. Wooden spoon got a prize as well, the little you know inflatable bullet thing. Mm -hmm. um, the old inflatable bullet thing. Old, yep. The old inflatable inflatable shell. So he first announced Welsh champion, and I picked up biggest prize, and I was just stunned. As a whole Canadian, uh, British and Canadian starter set. Get out. And I was like, I didn't even, I didn't win. I didn't win the tournament. Yeah. You know, that should be for the winner. But um, yeah, I picked up that as Welsh champion. Um, Alex got himself a Yag Tiger and something else because he also got best. It wasn't best painted. I think what Paul explained it as was it was the army he most likely would love to take to a tournament. Mm. So yeah, so it nice had four howitzers. Ball. Got it. Four heavy <laughs> yeah. howitzers. Well, it had, it had, um, well, it had two multi-launchers in it. Um, not that many flamethrowers, if any. I'm trying mm. to think if there were any flamethrowers. But um, you had the Panzer II. Um, no, Panzer III. You had a Panzer III, which is quite surprising compared to tournaments. You know, a little tank like that. I cooked that thing. Um, that thing burned. Um, but, uh, yeah, well-deserved. Johnny came second. Richard came third. Great right. players again. Uh, I finished fourth. I can literally go through all the players because there's not many of them. Yeah, and then exactly, it was Peter right? from, from the Juggers, Gary, Michael, and then uh, Phil finished. So are you uh, saying last. that you were a better podcast than the Juggernauts then? I'm oh, just... there it is. There it is. I did say that to him. The Jugger, I did say this is a bit of a podcast battle. Yeah, you did. Um, you brought it up. I'm just pointing it out. I'm just putting a little yeah. underline under that that uh, I'm sure well, they'll bring up in a future episode. We'll we'll get to that because um, I've been a I, I've got, I must be honest I've been a little bit cagey with what I've said in in this tournament I try not to give away too much of my tactics and what I did to win the games mm -hmm. because um, Wales are going to the WTC in Ireland uh, in uh, the middle of May 
mm-hmm. and I am Welsh representative. Um, but none of the boys from our podcast go. We I've managed to pick Welsh boys from around the country. So um, and they've had to hit certain criteria, even though two of them are, are, are pretty much English, but uh, had a Welsh father or lived mm-hmm. in Wales for a long period of time. But um, the English team are pretty much the juggernaut podcast. Yeah, they are. The boys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that'll be, you know, we'll, we'll have a repeat there, I'm sure. And um, I'll see if I can get Pete. I can get I finished top, but Pete did beat me. So it's a bit like, I don't know. I don't know. Well, we'll see at WTC what rocks. What your happens. your flamethrowers may not work against this Japanese. Uh, I, at least that's the 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 rivers of salt water yeah. that I heard. The oceans of salt water I heard on their podcast. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah, it's crazy. It is it is a crazy rule that wasn't in play at uh, the Welsh uh, nationals because the FAQ had come out um, after I think lists had gone mm-hmm. in. I think something like that. So Paul said we're not going to play the latest FAQ. We'll play the one before that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, nationals. Uh, what well, WTC will be playing the latest FAQ. So uh, yeah, I, can I just I point to... out that doesn't matter if you play in a meta that doesn't involve seventy-two flamethrowers in each army. It just it, if you have one, it's true. Yeah, it's you true. Don't, it doesn't yeah. matter. Don't even worry about it. Yolo. Or if you just if you're a good player, if you're a good player, mm. then there's other ways to be. There's other ways to be, and it's also scenario specific. Exactly. Isn't it? really you know mm-hmm. but yeah so um cracking tournaments paul brilliant. did put a a brilliant tournament on even with the circumstances uh definitely be going to welsh nationals again next year brilliant. i don't know if i'll make any of the other national tournaments because they're just far away very mm-hmm. far away <laughs> well for me it's far away for you i imagine it's down the road yeah um, i was gonna say australia's mm. yeah yeah a little bit bigger just a little bit yeah <laughs> So, um, but yeah, definitely go next year. I definitely invite anyone else to come up and play. Um, even with it being competitive, all the players were lovely. There was nothing. There wasn't anything. A couple of TO queries, of course, mm-hmm. there always are. But no one was nasty. No one walked away unhappy. No one was angry. No one felt like they'd been cheated. None of that. It was really? very friendly. It was lovely. So it was nice to see that, even though, and the lists weren't even all that bad, to be honest. Mine was probably the worst list there. I was gonna say yours is fairly gross, but yeah, you know, mine, mine was gross, and <laughs> that was probably the worst list. There you go. Well, Reese, let's talk about where people can hear more about you talking about the games that you play on your podcast. Because I love hearing you guys talk shop. I love hearing the crunch. I love talking the theme because you do play very different styles of bolt action, as you said. In the event that we're talking today, you're playing very competitively, but I know from your podcast, that isn't how you always play. In fact, you often play other ways as well, and so I find that shifting gears and being able to talk about bolt action in a variety of settings to be really interesting. And yeah, so Sounds of Battle podcast, hit us with the socials, my man, because I guarantee I'll get them wrong. So here's the usual spiel from me. Please. (laughs) That's at the end of every episode. Um... Yeah, we are um, we are quite different. Mark Mark um, is very historical, very themey. He loves. He's the guy talking about sea lion all the time. Mm-hmm. He does that sort of stuff at home. He loves the campaign side of bolt action, so he's always looking to play that, push it. James uh, also loves his theme. You know, he can't play a German army without taking LMGs. Mm-hmm. Um, he just feels wrong if he does. And then you get myself, who is a little bit more competitive. I will talk about the competitive side of things, but I do love my my theme and stuff like that. And we're all about just playing nice. Um, mm-hmm. We're on any 
any podcast system you can think of, you know, Spotify, Apple. Um, we're on YouTube as well, if, if that's how you get your podcasts mm-hmm. um, and any other sort of thing. You can find us on the Sounds of Battle um, community pages on Facebook. We have a Sounds of Battle Discord. If you just want to find me, I'm the Bearded Wargamer on, on Facebook and Instagram. Um, yeah, you know, anywhere where there's a social, you can you, you can find us. We're always interested in what you have to say. We want to have conversations with you. I love it when people contact me and, and mm-hmm. ask questions and what they think. We've had stuff sent to us. So please, you know, come find us. Have a listen. Um, and um, yeah, be part of our community. Definitely. And I, again, highly recommend these guys. If you haven't listened to Sounds Battle, please do. Because, you know, there's just so many great bolt action podcasts on the go at the moment. And, you know, these guys are one of my favorites. So please check them out. And guys, thank you for listening. Um, we've had a lot of listener requests in recent weeks. Part of that is because I took a little break for a little while and they did pile up a little Um, There has been a huge amount of requests for bolt action chat, and I did have a few requests for people to talk about the event that I played in, and so that's what this is. Uh, I guess that it's something that I haven't talked about in a long time, and so, again, I I couldn't think of a better man to have on than Reese. Again, Reese, thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. And, folks, if you have any requests for the show, please go to Cast Ice on Facebook, message the page, guaranteed a response by me. Hi, my name is Brad. Uh, just remember that I do occasionally sleep and I do live in Australia. And so, you know, while you're guaranteed to reply, there might be a couple of hours in between, depending on where you are in the world. Uh, but I guess when I start talking about time zones, it's about time to punch out. And you know what my buddy Casey always says, when you're playing the games that we know and love, I hope your dice roll hot. I hope your beverages are cold. But more than that, we at Cast Dice hope that you are having fun. Stay safe out there, guys. Good night. Are gone and they're trapped by-